0: okay, we're, uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea, we don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too.
1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined, as always, by Colby Powell. We've got just a few weeks before the college football season will kick off. Colby, can you feel it? Carson, I can. It. Uh, what is today? It's
0: July something. I don't even know. I've got a Ninth, newborn. July 29th. One, we are so close. What, five weeks? Five weeks. Five weeks from, I was going to say five weeks from tomorrow, but I think it's actually five weeks from yesterday. Oklahoma State with the uh, Thursday night opener, per the usual.
1: I prefer five Saturdays. Doesn't that sound so much closer than five weeks? It does. Five weeks makes it sound like 35 days, makes it sound like a long time.
0: Five Saturdays? You're telling me we've only got to get through five more Saturdays until we get to college football season? I'm
1: in. Love it. It's just – it takes forever, but it also just kind of is here before you know it. So – we're entering kind of the best time of year for me. College football season's by far my favorite time of year. You got fall weather as well. Cannot wait to dive into that. We got a lot to talk about today. We got some, uh, you know, I beat up on the Big Ten last episode. It's time to beat up on the Pac-12. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, I was kind of thinking of some, I was thinking about my Big Ten rant the other day, and I was just for some reason, T-shirts came into my mind.
0: Do you well, have any t-shirt.
1: t-shirt ideas that the pod could put out? I wanted to make one that just said the Big Ten all cap, all all-caps stinks. <laughs> it, make it in an orange and black and just go from there. Although, if OSU ever gets to the Big Ten, I'll, I'll, I'll have to confiscate those and burn them because I'll be happy to be there. <laughs> and beat up all on right. all those slows teams.
0: Yeah, no doubt. If, the, if Oklahoma State ever makes it, it'd be great. To, uh, get to prove themselves on a bigger stage. It's funny, whenever you said that, the first thing that came to my mind was just, in all caps, the whole quote, the Big Ten stinks, but put it in quotations with Carson Cunningham underneath it and then a little Pistols firing logo on it. That was the first one that popped into my mind. Uh, I I think something specifically taking a shot at Iowa, because for whatever reason, uh, you and I have decided (laughs) that Iowa is the poster child for slow, mediocre football that wins in that conference. So I think something specifically targeting the Hawkeyes that, you know, we just wouldn't be able to cross state lines wearing that T-shirt uh, without getting pulled over.
1: The reason you're bagging on Iowa now is you've now done a podcast with me for, what, a year and a half now, whatever, however long it's been. It's because I, I went on an epic rant about Iowa with Kyle Porter back when they were like 10-0 and 0 and, you know, were ranked in the top four over Oklahoma State because they had played nobody. So I think it's just through osmosis you don't like Iowa anymore.
0: I think that's probably it. We've also got a listener, Carson, who I don't know if he sends you the same stuff, but from time to time, uh, he has family in Iowa, and he sends me screenshots of stuff that they talk about on Facebook, and it is hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Here we go. I actually just pulled one up. His name's Chris Gitch. He messages me on Twitter from time to time. Here's an Iowa fan whenever the UCLA and USC News was announced a few weeks ago. Joining will give them a taste of bruising Big Ten football and what it's all about week in and week out. Boom! Bruising Big Ten football week in and
1: week out, Carson. Bruising Big Ten football. That's just a nice way to say we're slow and we run into each other and fall down. And I would want you to send him an update from me or just send him the audio clip from me about the Iowa safety and how brown his yellow gold pants turn when Braylon Presley's out in the open field and see how bruising he would be when that happens.
0: By the way, any idea, Chris Getch also sent me this on Twitter. Just take a guess as to what Iowa's winning percentage is against teams with winning records in the past 10 seasons record against teams with winning records over the past 10 seasons. Give me a percentage of games. The Hawkeyes win against winning opponents. Uh, well, Winning teams. Remember, winning can be seven and
1: five. I know. And there's a lot of those in the Big Ten. That's exactly where my head was at. I'll say, well, since he sent this to you, it's got to be decent. So I'll say 60%.
0: Carson, they were 44%. That was my original
1: guess, dang it.
0: (laughs) They are 29 and 37 over the past 10 seasons against winning teams. Here's the drop-off in the Big Ten. We were, we didn't even plan on talking about the Big Ten today, but we're down the rabbit hole. So here we go. Ohio State over the past 10 years, 85% clip against winning teams. Yeesh. Then you go, then you go to Michigan State, Carson, you go from 85% to 57% is the next highest in the Big Ten. The only other team in the Big Ten with a winning record against winning teams over the past ten seasons is Wisconsin. They are 38-34, and winning at a 53% clip against teams with winning
1: records. Now that is factual, statistical evidence for what I've been saying. Ohio State, I'll listen to Wisconsin. The rest of that conference stinks. It's terrible. Quit pretending they're any good at all. And that's, that's further proves what I've been saying for years.
0: You, you know what the funniest thing about this conversation is? It's that we always accidentally circle back to it. The last thing that I said before we actually fired up and started recording was, all right, time to pick on our friends out West. And here we are 30 seconds in just going after the Big Ten. I
1: love it. Yeah, and we haven't even gone after Kevin Warren and all the ridiculous things he's said. Oh. But I, I do think we need to start with our friends out West that you mentioned. Uh, George Kliakov, the Pac-12 commissioner, ha- has essentially, he's, he's taken the gloves off hockey style. He, he's tried to pull the Big 12's jersey over its head and throw some uppercuts. He is basically accusing the Big 12 of trying to, to disband his conference, much in the way that Bob Bowlesby accused ESPN of colluding to disband the Big 12 by taking OU in Texas. He says, quote, this is Kleakov, that is. With respect to the Big 12 being open for business, I appreciate that. We haven't decided whether we're going shopping there or not. And I've, I may have missed the first quote about uh the Big 12 and, and all those things trying to disband his league. But Colby, that quote right there is the one I thought that made the most headlines in that this is this attitude, this aura of eliteness this aura of, you know, this snootiness, I should say, from those folks out West who, you, who think they are just smarter and a higher class society than those of us in the middle of the country. This attitude that this, this, this thing that's not even true, that as if the Pac-12 holds the cards and that the Big 12's begging them to come join is just laughable. And I would tell George Kleokov, this is why Cal... Who, who fancies themselves as an Ivy league school, Stanford as well. All those little schools out there that have no fans and no traditions and no real passion for college football. This aura of higher class society is why no one cares about your conference. No one cares about it. No one watches about it. You're not competitive. You're a distant fifth in, the, in the, amongst the power fives for George Kliakoff to say, to, to be as brazen as he was today, Colby tells me all I need to know. He's scared. He knows what's happening. He knows they're about to get picked apart left and right, and he's he's still he's going down with the ship, much like the uh, what was that the captain of the Titanic, where he he wanted to be dignified in the way the ship went down. Well, good luck to you, George Kliokov, because you are living in a dream world.
0: Yeah, here's the quote that really stood out to me in reference to the Big Twelve. Kliokov said. I understand why they're doing it when you look at the relative media value between the two conferences. I get it. I get why they're scared. What – What planet is George Klievkoff living on right now where he thinks the Big 12 is scared? George Klievkoff, he got in a time machine and he went back 12 months is what he did because the Big 12 was scared 12 months ago whenever the Pac-12 could have come and could have taken other schools from the Big 12 conference, could have totally destabilized the Big 12 and solidified themselves as one of the powers in college football. And you know what they said? They said, none of y'all are good enough for us. We are too good for every single one of you out there in your little flyover states. Y'all enjoy playing your little football out there in Waco, Texas. Okay, sounds good, buddy. Now he wants to come out and say, I get why they're scared. No, no, no. The Big 12 went through their whole scared process a year ago. The Big 12 has since rebounded, added quality programs, and is now on solid footing moving forward, and Klievkov... I mean, I tell you what, it reeked of desperation listening to his comments today. And the the idea that he would try to frame this as the Big 12 being scared, dude, you are, I mean, we, we all see what you're trying to do. It's not, tra- I mean, it's so transparent what's happening here. Um, and, and it just reeks of desperation for Klievkoff. I get why they're scared. Get out of here, dude. Your conference is about to dissolve and everybody knows
1: it. Yeah, and this these comments come on the heels that the big 10 says they're not done expanding. Now, I think I, and most people believe they're just waiting on Notre Dame and they're not going to add Oregon and Washington, but they could, they could call Oregon and Washington tomorrow and take the two remaining schools of any value from that league and say, and really sink that ship that he's talking about. But you're, you're totally right, Colby. Like the idea that the big 12 is scared now is just, it, it's laughable. Like, it, Brett Yormark's probably laughing in his office, the new Big 12 commissioner that has said he's open for business. And, you know, there's, there's talks that Arizona's already making some moves, wanting to get out of there. Their league is in complete disarray. And, and, look, I get it to a certain extent for him to get up there and exude confidence in the league surviving. But we see right through it. And you didn't have to be so brazen to, to make yourself look – completely laughable, George Kliakov. So that that was just hilarious. And he he took more shots at the Big 12. He, he said, that, you know, they were trying to disband the league. Well, of course they are, George. You already tried to merge with them. Brett, your remark said, thanks, but no thanks, because you don't bring any value as an entire conference. And it limits the Big 12's ability to expand further when inevitably, the A- Colby, the ACC is going to end up exactly like the Pac-12. I mean, the best schools, Clemson, Florida state, Miami, they're going to get picked off one way or another, whether that's the sec or the big 10. And so those, that leaves even more options for the big 12. They can go East or West. They don't need snooty Cal Bakersfield and their crazy academic standards and their lack of passion for college football. They don't need that. They can go East and get, you know, legitimate football programs if, if the case may be. So it's just it's, – it's laughable, Colby, and it further proves to me the Big 12 is on very firm footing before we even get into all the teams they've already added. In terms of adding more teams, no one's going to the Pac-12. No one's going to the ACC. The Big 12 is the place to be if you want out of those 2 rum dum leagues.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up the geography of it because we've talked some this summer about how geography is starting to matter less and less, right? I mean, you've got USC is going to be playing games in Rutgers. That's U- USC to Rutgers is roughly the same distance as Rutgers to Iceland. I mean, geography is starting to matter less and less, especially for football, whenever we've got all these mega donors at all these schools and we've got hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars being thrown around because it is a multi-billion dollar product, but still – you look at the geography of it, and the Big 12 is positioned, like you said, Carson, right in the middle where, I mean, you can go left and you can pluck. You can go right and you can pluck. If you're the Pac-12 and you're trying to draw in some of these schools, boy, you're going to have a hard sell throwing, I, I don't even know, a random school, North Carolina. I don't know, random ACC school, North Carolina. You're going to have a really hard time calling up the AD at North Carolina and say, hey, look here. We can offer you just a little bit less money than the Big 12, but we can have you fly to Eugene, Oregon at the same time. That's not a very good sales pitch. So while I do think geography is starting to matter less and less for the big boys, I think whenever you're the Pac-12 and you're trying to recruit, I think it is going to matter to an extent if they're going to go out and try to uh, pluck schools away that are further east because nobody wants to fly 2,000 miles to the west and play at 930. Just – it's not good for the fan bases. It's not good for the teams. It's just, yeah, I think that's an interesting point because even as geography starts to matter less in terms relative to a Pac-12 versus Big 12 conversation, yeah, I do still think it's going to matter whenever uh, these two conferences go and try to pluck other schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Big is already in Orlando, Florida with UCF. They're already yeah. in uh, Utah with BYE. They're already expanding east and west. And I think that makes it even more enticing for schools on, on both coasts. I think that's that's very well said. And and I, I found the quote I really wanted to hit on here. <laughs> and I, I, have, I have just so much fodder from this, uh, from, Bre- from um, George Klyakov, quote, Try- uh, he said, the commissioner has acknowledged frustration with the upheaval created by defections, saying he spent the past month, quote, trying to defend grenades being lobbed in from every corner of the big 12, trying to destabilize our remaining conference yeah yeah that do you not understand how this works the sec lobbed a howitzer at the big 12 and took OU you in texas the the big 10 just dropped a nuke on your conference and took usc and ucla which in my opinion ain't that big a deal but hey they took both your la schools and for even further brazenness colby th- this might have been the biggest laugher of them all which is saying something oh i know where you're going He literally, he literally is, this is how desperate he is. He is keeping the door open for UCLA if they want to come back. Quote, I'd say UCLA is in a really difficult position. No, they're not. They're broke. They need money. I'll continue. There are lots of constituents related to UCLA who are very, very, very unhappy with the decision. Student athletes, the families, the faculty, the staff, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but if they came back, we'd welcome them back.
0: Three varies, Carson. Got to keep that in mind. Three varies that could carry some weight at that UCLA board meeting. They're very, very, very unhappy.
1: I'm sure just because the Gavin Newsom ripped UCLA, I'm sure they're going to turn down that massive check from the Big Ten and really throw their entire university in disarray in terms of money, just just to appease a few people who might be upset. Do you think anybody was upset when OU and Texas left? They were. You know why they left? money, George money. And if you had any sense of money, you would have tried to create a partnership last summer with the big 12 to get into the central time zone, to, to quit being a complete afterthought out there and on the West coast. And Colby, I thought that quote summed up his entire position really on top of all the big 12 stuff.
0: Yeah, I think it did too. I think it was just against such desperation from him out there. And I look, honestly, I don't really know what I expected him to say. I mean, we knew media days were coming. We knew he was going to have to talk. I don't know what I expected. I just maybe didn't expect such brazenness. I mean, at this point, you have to kind of accept the position that you're in, which is, look, you lost USC. That's the big one. UCLA, yes. That's Los Angeles. The Pac-12 has had a a hold on Los Angeles forever, and that's going to be weird losing them both. But you lose USC, that's just such a big one, and I I don't know what he was supposed to say. It's kind of like Bowlesby a year ago whenever OU and Texas leave. It's like... What's Bowlesby say now? He sat on his hands. He, he He's done the same thing Bowlesby did. Bowlesby sat on his hands. He did nothing. He wasn't proactive. He was reactive to everything as the landscape of college football changed around him. And then OU and Texas said, boom, we're gone. And all of a sudden, everybody panicked. Now, the Big 12 did a great job of stabilizing and getting back where they needed to be, where they're in a good position moving forward. I don't know that the Pac-12 can do that because... Again, what did Klevkov do? I, I know he's new on the job, but he sat around. They've been reactive instead of proactive. They had a chance last summer to solidify themselves. They turned it down because they thought they were too good for Stillwater and they thought they were too good for Waco. Guess what? You're not. And now your conference is going to become a shell of itself. They're talking about San Diego State in the AP story I read earlier today. Yeah, go ahead and throw San Diego State in there because that's what everybody wants to see at 930 on Saturday night. Only the absolute most degenerate of gambler would be up watching San Diego State and Oregon State at (laughs) 1.30 a.m. Eastern on a Sunday
1: morning. I uh, know. And <laughs> that, that was a funny image. Um, <laughs> if you are him and, and you were proactive, it, you know what I would have done if I was him? I would have already signed uh, BYU in Boise State and called it a day. I would have stolen BYU from the Big 12. I think they want to be aligned with Utah. I would have done that already if I was him. Instead, he's up there saying, I don't know if I want to go shopping there yet or not. That sounds awful lot like Bob Bolsby, kind of just being left in a, in a pillow of smoke. But I'm glad you mentioned playing on the West Coast. You know, all these West Coast media types, all these, all these people like Stuart Mandel, who just can't stand the Big 12, want nothing to do with it. They hate, they hate traveling here to cover games. They give it no respect. The John Wilners of the world that cover the Pac-12 exclusively. They're now trying to, Colby, trumpet up the TV ratings for Pac-12 after dark. An embarrassing misrepresentation of the data is what was put out earlier this week. It's truly a, f- a complete farce. And, and I'll, let you, I'll let you dive into it, Colby. But I've been noticing this. I it, you know, leave the floor to you because it's a complete joke. And it sounds like you're ready to talk about
0: it. Yeah, no, it's just this crap that came out earlier this week about these these ratings. Look, you take OU and Texas away, and look at what we're looking at whenever we compare Pac-12 to Big 12, and it's just a total misrepresentation. The ESPN Plus factor is not in there. I mean, Chuba Hubbard runs for 498 yards against Kansas State a couple of years ago. It's on ESPN Plus because of the way contracts work. Also... Did they actually throw out OU in Texas when looking at the Big 12's TV ratings, but keep USC and UCLA in when looking at the Pac-12's TV ratings? I I was trying to – I actually didn't look at it for as long as I probably should have because I got frustrated with it and chalked it up to garbage about 30 seconds in. I probably should have studied it just a little bit longer, but – It was clearly cherry-picking ratings data to make the Pac-12 look more valuable than it is and make the Big 12 look less valuable than it is. And I don't understand what purpose that serves unless you're just openly acknowledging your bias toward the Pac-12, which appeared to be what was happening, because I don't know how else you can take that data and come to that conclusion. I, I, I really don't. It was... It was manufactured data to prove a point. I mean, if I wanted to right now, I could probably go in and I could probably pull up some stats. You know, Thursday night games when the temperature is between 68 degrees and 84 degrees, and it's in October between the 7th and the 19th, Brock Purdy is the greatest quarterback in college football history. But that doesn't tell the whole story, and that's pretty much the equivalent of what we saw earlier this week uh, with this ratings Idiocy that was thrown out on Twitter and that everybody was having a field day with.
1: Yeah, it's it's a complete joke. Of course, a lot of people are watching when you're the only game on in town. But you put you put Oregon State against Cal up against Oklahoma State and Kansas State. It's it's not close. It, it's not even in the same ballpark. And he and here's a really good post from um, Adam Lunt. He retweeted this graphic. And it goes through all the time slots, noon, afternoon, prime time, and late night. And it has all the networks. And so at noon, the overall median audience is across all networks uh, is 1.5 million afternoon, 2 million prime time, 2.3 late night, 849,000. So to sit here and trumpet, well, look at these ratings we had at, Pack 12 After Dark, like, it's not even the same game. It's not even the same ballpark. It's on a different street, a different state, in terms of what we're actually talking about. And real TV networks know this. And Fox, ESPN, ABC are each over 2 million expected when all four slots are averaged together. Uh, FS1 and ESPNU under 50,000. So, like, it's, it's just not even the same thing, Colby. So, like, and I think TV networks know that. It's just the, the, the folks out west who just can't stand that flyover country actually cares about football and nobody cares about their league. They they try to cling on to what they can to. And and look, we're not absolved from this, Colby. We were trying to cling on to any any positive number associated with Oklahoma State and why they would be worthy of any of the other conferences. So you're right. We do the same things, but we also don't try to put lipstick on a pig and pretend that it's pretty. Uh no, you're absolutely right. Also I think that we are pretty good, probably.
0: I mean, I don't think anybody's perfect about it, but I think we're pretty good about acknowledging our biases. I mean, we're hosting a podcast called Pistols Firing. We're both Oklahoma State graduates. I think that we acknowledge our biases, but we try to at least keep an open mind and, and present a well-rounded argument. It, it, it's, to me, nothing drives me more crazy in sports media, and and we might even get down a separate rabbit hole here than someone who claims to have zero bias while obviously displaying it. I know that I have certain biases toward Oklahoma State. I don't try to deny those. I try to acknowledge them so that whenever I'm making these arguments and whenever I'm seeing these things and talking about these things, I can say, okay, is this just my Oklahoma State bias or am I looking at what's real here? And I just feel like right now we've had stuff this week where – I don't know if it's people out in California who like living in LA and they don't want college football to totally go away from there. I don't know what it is, but something has just, there's something in the water out there where it's like trying to deny the bias while also just openly displaying it with this stuff that they're putting out with the ratings. So uh, try to, and we try to always acknowledge our biases and use that to our benefit to make sure that we're kind of looking at things from as objective of a point of view as we
1: can. Yeah, no, I I think we definitely do that. And heck, I I got accused of being a a Baker Mayfield boxer-wearing aficionado (laughs) when I worked in television because I had the audacity to say, that dude's, like, one of the best to ever play college football. And, oh, by the way, ESPN named him the number one quarterback since 2000 in all of college football. And you know the names that that includes. Just think of any great quarterback over the last 22 years. So, like, I can call a spade a spade, and I do. And I thought the Big 12 was cooked last year. Uh, If I was some Big 12 mega homer, I wouldn't have been saying that. That, I got so much crap. Remember me calling the the remaining schools a little late? How, how, How mad all the OSU fans got? Oh, Carson, you took heat.
0: Serious heat
1: for eight. That. That's what they were. Like that's what they were. The and then the conference a, did
0: something about it.
1: And our alma mater Colby is not a power broker in the sport of college football. That's been proven. We we see that now. But that doesn't mean they're doomed. It doesn't mean they're gonna quit playing football in Stillwater. But you got to call a spade a spade. And so I wish the folks out, out west would do the same. Um, you had a couple uh questions to get into, didn't we, from via Twitter? I did. Let's get into uh, to this here. So basically talking about bowls, and
0: this comes from Tyler Scott Co- Coble on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate you reaching out. He said, once an expanded playoff happens, these bowls will be toast, basically. Incorporating NIL into a bowl game prize is interesting, but still there's just too many bowls to go around. I've seen many people say use the New York Six Bowls as your playoff, but that makes no sense to have that many first-round games as neutral site games. What are your thoughts on using the New York, not New York, New Year's Six Bowls as their own championship games for their own NIT style of a playoff with a big prize and potential NIL payday to the winner? So I think essentially what he's asking here is what if the college football playoff, right? So Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and Georgia. They go and they play their college football playoff. But now we've got this next tier of schools who have great football programs. I mean, are we just left competing for nothing? Are we to the point now where if you go 11 and 1 instead of 12 and 0 and you come in at fifth, you just don't compete for anything in the postseason? And maybe you could turn that New Year Six into some other kind of tournament style, uh, NIT style, but a little more prestige because if you're the fifth best college football program, that's still pretty good. I I don't know, uh, Carson, what does the bowl system look like once college football reshapes itself over the next few years? Because bowls have become less and less important. They still make money. They still throw them on ESPN in the Bahamas at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday to make money, but Man, I just, I have no idea what bowls look like in 2025 or
1: 2030. Well, the the bowls still really rate well on television, which is amazing to me. I'm not watching the New Orleans Bowl. I've never been, maybe I'll have it on the background, but I'm not like turning it on and watching the game from start to finish. But a lot of people do, and they still make money. So while guys are sitting out, and the bowls have certainly become far, far less important, in the grand scheme of things, they still make money. So I, I like the idea of using the lesser bulls for this quote unquote NIT. If you're not in the, you know, the eight team or 16 style playoff. I still, though, the main ones have so much prestige. I loved how they've incorporated them into the 14 playoff on a rotating basis. I still think there's an avenue for that. Um, in terms of semifinals quarterfinals i'm not sure how it all shake out but i i still want to see the orange bowl as the place you know like the, the orange bowl this game is to get to whether it's the championship or the semifinal or you know just get to the championship game i i still want to see the big ones with prestige the the new year six bowls i still would like to see those incorporate into the playoff in some way no i would too i i think that that's a great idea it's just there are going to be
0: so many different ideas, so many different theories thrown out by some Stuart Mandels of the world. I'm sure we'll have Herb Street on ESPN with his ideas. Who knows if they're still going to be letting Corso tout his ideas when he's 95, 100 years old? Uh, I halfway hope that they do at this point because the older he gets, the more entertaining I think he gets uh, on television as he becomes a loose cannon. But uh, yeah, I I don't know what it looks like moving forward, and the question is: Is it an NCAA thing? Or is it an individual conference thing? Because, I mean, if the Big Ten and SEC turn into mega powers, let's say they end up with 20 schools each and turn into mega powers, are they, are they listening to anything the NCAA wants them to do? Are they participating in that system because there was money there? Or are they going to go to Apple and Amazon and say, hey, Amazon, why don't we do this? Why don't we take uh, five Big Ten teams, we'll pit them against five SEC teams after – these are the teams that don't make the college football playoff, top five from each conference. We will pit them against each other in a tournament style. You can stream it on Amazon, and it will get massive ratings. I'm serious. I I think that we could be watching something in a few years where in lieu of bowl games, we have conferences agreeing to play essentially postseason exhibitions – for trophies on streaming services. I, I I feel like I'm sounding crazy right now, like a, a, a conspiracy college football conspiracy theorist, but I don't know. I just, I don't think it's going to look the same for very much longer. Um, whether that is for the better or for the worse, I think only time will tell.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've thought a lot about that just in what you're talking about Colby in the terms of the structure of college football and what the NCAA's role is, things of that nature. This will never happen. I'll preface it with that, but College football needs a commissioner to like put George Kliakov in timeout and be like, you know you're not getting anyone from the big 12. Big 12. Like, I think someone who is the commissioner for the sport of college football, I think would have prevented a lot of to the point where we are now where the SEC steals OU in Texas. Their, their league's full of a bunch of rum rumdums that don't belong in it, but they're trying to build a super conference. Like Colby, how can you build a super conference with OU, Texas, Alabama, uh, Florida, Georgia, all of them and have Vanderbilt in your conference? How how can that be? So I I overall I just I think I'd like to see a commissioner. It's not going to happen. I don't even know who that would be, but I think that's a big reason why we're in the situation we are in now. Yeah, I don't think that we can get there anytime soon. And
0: when I say anytime soon, I mean 5, 10, 20 years. But hear me out, Carson. What if What is it, it, 2022 right now? Let's say 2052, 30 years from now, you and I are in our 60s. We're still doing the same podcast on the same platform because that's how the world works. 2052, is it possible that we are living in a world where the college football conference or the college football competition that you play against, is it possible that 30 years from now, that is merit-based as opposed to, Oops, we were grandfathered in. Hi, we're Rutgers. We'll take our $120 million check, please. Same for Vanderbilt. Same for all these jokes of schools and programs who don't care about athletics and are just grandfathered into these conferences. If I give you 30 years, Carson, because we know it's not happening in five or 10 or probably even 20, 30 years we're doing this podcast and we live in a world where who you play and where you play and how much money you make is merit-based. Any chance it ever becomes merit-based.
1: Well, the TV contracts will decide that because they're going to be paying for who they're putting on television. And I think that's, what's, that's where we are exactly today, not 30, 40 years from now. The TV networks are deciding what's what. And who's what, and who's in what conference? So yeah, I think there will be a world, Colby, where ESPN, when they're negotiating the SEC contract, they're going to say, "Hey, by the way, could you could you get rid of Vanderbilt and add like Oklahoma State? They could play bedlam. That would be a huge TV deal. Can we um, can we get rid of, let's say Mississippi State? They've done nothing for a hundred years. Could we get rid of them? Bring in so and so. So yeah, I think I think that's certainly." a possibility and I I think it might even be the case here and because because what we're what we're now learning Colby is now that the conferences don't really mean anything when you got 20 20 teams in you're 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 gonna go a decade without playing some teams you can't play them all so I don't I don't think the conferences are I think the importance of what conference you're in is already by the wayside today let alone 30 years from now
0: That is a great answer. You've given me hope, Carson. I hope it's not false hope because you have given me hope that at some point we live in a world where Oklahoma State, who's a top 10 winningest program in the country over the last 10 years, top 10 winningest against top 25 teams over the last 10 years, can actually be in a situation where they make more money off of football from TV contracts than Rutgers. I want to live in a world where Oklahoma State makes more money off of football from TV
1: contracts than Rutgers. Well, you may have had this idea. It was either you or someone else. Should Oklahoma State just schedule only those rumdums from the SEC and the Big Ten? Like, schedule Rutgers and Vanderbilt next year and just beat them by like 50. And then the Big 12, we can wave our little flags and, and claim superiority. We can mockingly chant SEC. Like, <laughs> go after these teams. Go after Nate. I can name 15 teams up there in the Big Ten you know a handful in the sec just go after him
0: carson you're going to remember this everybody's going to remember this spencer sanders the first start of his collegiate career this isn't big ten or sec but it's along the same Ooh, mold because you get I programs remember. like you get programs like oregon state who just get to hang out and make money despite being terrible spencer sanders rolls up to oregon state he rolls up to corvallis and he looks like Tom Brady and Michael Vick had a son, and he's now quarterback for Oklahoma State. That's what he looked like in his first collegiate start. Oregon State's just chilling out there collecting a check. And whoever you run out, year in, year out at quarterback at Oklahoma State, if you send them to Rutgers to play the Scarlet Knights, those red jerseys will turn brown. If you send them to Vanderbilt to play, what are they, the Commodores? I don't even know. I don't even care. It'd be a run rule. They would call it after the third quarter for safety concerns. It's just – It's ridiculous that those teams are just grandfathered in and they just get these big, fat monster checks while investing none of it into their athletic programs. And Oklahoma State's over here producing a top 10 program in the country for a decade and getting smaller checks than, you know, probably 20 other schools nationally who are just absolute jokes. But they just ride the coattails of Ohio State and Alabama, and it's just it's a very flawed system. We've all known it's a flawed system for a long time, but I think it's really being brought to the surface now that everything's starting to change.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and those conferences expanded too early. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen to the sport. But right. The Big Ten taking record.
0: Oh, either your connection or my connection just bit the dust, Carson. You, get, you got me?
1: Yep, can you hear me?
0: Oh, yep, we're back. I just missed whatever you said,
1: though. What, where did I leave you off at?
0: Uh, I left off uh, after my little rant about Rutgers and, and Vanderbilt and uh, Oklahoma oh, okay. State run-ruling them after three quarters. Yeah.
1: I said those those leagues and conferences, they expanded too soon. They didn't know what was going to happen in the sport of college football. Like, for instance, Missouri going to the SEC, the Big Ten taking Rutgers and Maryland. Like, they didn't know that was, like, this, the sport was going to get blown up. So – they, they probably have a lot of buyer's remorse, and I, I know they do in terms of Rutgers and, and schools like that. So just kind of the world we're living in. But, again, I'm sure people have, are tired of conference realignment talk. I'm tired of it, but it's what's what's going on right now until we start playing some football games. But uh, we had a nice little rant there on, on the Pac-12 and things of that nature. But let's get to Bullets and BBs. It is time. Colby Powell, as we head into the weekend. Carson, I'm going rant. to give
0: a bullet to another Carson, a Chris Carson. Man, he was, he was better in the NFL than I think any, any of us thought he would be. He was really productive with the Seahawks. I mean, he was part of some good offenses. Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson. I mean, some of those offenses were really good. They had some terrible offensive lines. He still ran the ball well, and football's just a cruel mistress, man. You, you just There's nothing you can do about injuries. You take some hits the wrong way. The human body just – Look, it's not built to be a running back in the NFL. These defensive tackles, linebackers, DNs, these guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger. If you're a running back in the NFL between carries, receptions, and blocking, I mean, it's like getting in a car wreck 30 times a week. I have no idea how they do it. Uh, Chris Carson having to hang up the cleats after a neck injury. Just, uh, I mean, the biggest bullet goes out to him. Great career at Oklahoma State. Uh, I think a pretty underrated career at Oklahoma State because he was joined in the backfield by another great back in Justice Hill. But good career at Oklahoma State exceeded every expectation at the NFL level. Uh, another bullet goes to the Seahawks for doing him right. Uh, they didn't just, you know, cut him and, and hang him out to dry. It was failed physical designation. He will receive uh, millions in insurance for not being able to play anymore and having to retire early, uh, so he will be taken care of. But it's just sad to see the career of Chris Carson in early. He gets a big-time bullet for everything that he did on the football field at Oklahoma State and
1: in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, guys with – much better college careers, didn't make as much money as Chris Carson. And I'll always remember that video the Seahawks put out when they drafted him uh, with the GM, uh, John Schneider and, and Pete Carroll. Like, they were fired up to get him in the last round of the NFL draft. And let's face it, Colby, very few guys who are drafted in the seventh round, the final round of the NFL draft, play a down in the NFL let alone earn the big money he did, had as much 3,500 rushing yards in his career. Uh, that, that just doesn't happen. And I think that's a testament to his talent, his work ethic, things of that nature. And uh, yeah, while, while it is sad that, you know, an injury that he sustained ended his career, there, there's, there's more than one way to look at that. You know, he's, he's going to be retiring young. So while his neck may be hurt and, and hopefully he doesn't have any long-term damage from that, his brain is taking less hits he, he won't play another five six seven years and who knows what happens from there so I'm sure I know he's got to be disappointed I know it, it stinks uh, it's part of playing football we all understand that but there are there, there is silver lining to this he made it he made a lot of money and uh that's that's are celebrating not not feeling sorry for him and so I, I'm, I'm I'm happy for Chris Carson and, and, and what he was able to accomplish Yep.
0: I am too. Great career. And he'll be remembered fondly in both Stillwater and Seattle. Um, BB's Carson. I I, I mean, we talked about it at length earlier. I I had decided earlier in the day that he was getting it. George Klevkoff, I mean, he just could not have been more brazen in his desperation as he tried to paint the big 12 as a desperate conference who needs to pull schools from the PAC 12 to survive. Dude, we know what you're doing. We know what you're doing. It's, it's not working. Nobody's buying anything that you said today. I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe maybe Stuart Mandel will come out with something about just how right he is, about how the Big 12 is in trouble. It's just not the reality of the situation. The Big 12 was in trouble a year ago, and the Big 12, to its credit, Carson, we ripped them to shreds up and down on this podcast for sitting around, sitting on their hands, and watching everyone else do everything as college football changes And Oklahoma State. Uh, Not Oklahoma State. The Big 12 was doing absolutely nothing. Well, now that's what the Pac-12 is doing. The Big 12 has figured it out. I think your your mark's got a good head on his shoulders. I like the direction of this conference, Uh, and I think that this conference – could and probably will include some schools that are currently in the Pac-12 in the next three to five years. I just, man, the, the brazenness of Kleokoff to come out and just, I mean, Carson, for, for lack of a better metaphor, uh, you know, he peed in a bottle and he told us it was apple juice. Dude, we know what you're doing. The Pac-12's in trouble. Leave us alone. That be lemonade or apple
1: juice? I don't know.
0: That's, That's a good question. That's a great question. i heard that phrase before. I actually thought of that off the top of my head and just said it. I have no idea how it's gonna play. We'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> my my f bomb got some run from last last week's episode. I, I oh, know, your f bomb was great because it was so casual
0: and so subtle and just so natural. It was beautiful. And so
1: dismissive of some SEC fan trying to claim that Tennessee would work Oklahoma State like that. Maybe if it was 1998. And 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 Bob Simmons was running out there, bud. but those days are long gone. <laughs> uh, my bullet goes to you know when we talk a lot about the Oklahoma State defense coming. Your in bullet the- or your BB? I'm going bullet first. You're going bullet. Did we already? What was your bullet? I thought we already did bullets. You did you did your bullet and BB before I went. Oh, well, that's right. I did my bullet and, and I kind of I kind uh, of yeah. liked it. You responded. Like yeah. Okay. That. Yeah.
0: No, I got confused. You go. Here's the problem, Carson. You know how last week I was watching the U.S. girls
1: junior amateur. Yes, you golf freak.
0: Well, shout out to Yana Wilson, who took down Gianna Clemente in 33 holes, by the way. Oh, I, I now, know those
1: names, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> now I'm
1: watching the, uh, the U.S. boys junior because, again, I'm a degenerate. So uh, go ahead. Give me your bullet and your BB. Uh, my bullet, you know, talking about the OSU defense, which I mentioned, like, you know, everyone's kind of wondering, you know, they lose Jim Knowles. Like, they, they were as good as Georgia last year. Is that sustainable? I know they got a good D-line, but what we'll about linebacker, secondary? The fact that Oklahoma State's defense statistically was on par with Georgia, you could argue is even better. uh, It's amazing they were that good despite losing Trace Ford. Well, reports say, according to Mike Gundy, Trace Ford should be full speed by fall camp, which starts August 3rd next week. And according to Brock Martin, quote, he looks good. Metabolics, he looks great. I don't know what metabolics means, but we'll, we'll skip that. He's finally got his his step back. I always talked about how quick his first step was, and now I saw it again for the first time in a really long time. I'm really excited for him. So what what Oklahoma State's defense is getting back that they, they didn't even have last year when they were arguably the best defense in the country is perhaps the best player on the whole team on defense. I mean, Trace Ford was a legitimate Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year candidate coming into last year. Hurts his knee. uh, Hurts his – he's had several injuries over his career, but he's back full speed. I want to give him a bullet for sticking it out, persevering through injuries. Injuries are tough. They're frustrating. But I'm really excited to see Trace Ford and what he can do this year. So I'm going to give him a bullet.
0: Carson, I just had a thought. Before the season starts, maybe like the week before, some sort of season preview or something, We need to try to guess who is going to be Oklahoma State's individual sack leader at the end of the season because there are several candidates. And, Carson, I honestly have no idea who I would pick. I I mean, you'd probably lean Colin Oliver, but I don't think it's a certainty. I mean, dude, I have no idea. But we we have to at least before the season. I'm sure we'll do a full preview. But I want us to both rank one, two, and three who we think Oklahoma State's individual sack leaders are going to be at the end of the season. Edmund Santa Fe, that's my guess. Edmund <laughs> that's a good one. Is Calvin Colin Bundage Oliver. coming back? I think Calvin Bundage is just, he's week to week to come back from this injury.
1: No, uh, he's not coming back, but but Oliver no, and, I know. Uh, Oliver and uh, Ford are also Santa Fe Wolves. So that'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll take one of them. I don't care which one. I'll let you have first pick. I'll take the other one because I think they, they both are going to be nipping at each other's heels. Uh, my BB goes to... The newly crowned Big Ten coach Lincoln Riley at USC. You know this guy. He and I was saying these things when he was the coach at Oklahoma that they were they were pretty soft. And you know, he liked he liked kind of the uh, the Hollywood aspect of things. You know he he literally cried tears. He he, he wept at a press conference because he had to suspend Baker Mayfield. Who, oh, by the way, Baker Mayfield sat out two plays. Kyler Murray ran for like 80 yards, scored the next play. Baker Mayfield was out there. He literally wept tears, sobbed that he had to suspend Baker Mayfield. Well, fast forward to today, his prized quarterback recruit, Malachi Nelson, who was originally committed to Oklahoma, followed Lincoln to USC. He's making a visit to texas a&m right before the dead period and usc's recruiting class is crumbling around him and i think he deserves a bb because how many tears colby is lincoln Riley going to shed if his recruiting class and his future falls apart considering he cried when he had to bench baker mayfield for two plays Yeah, the
0: the Malachi Nelson thing is very interesting. I I do think that Lincoln will be able to recruit to USC, and and if Malachi leaves, he'll get another quarterback. Also, I saw the itinerary for uh, his tour of College Station, Malachi Nelson's, that is. Uh, First, they were going to take him to Bank of America, and then they were going to leave there and head to Wells Fargo. I think they were going to bank first after that. Uh, I think Capital One has a bank down there. So they were going to hit all the hot spots with Malachi Nelson down in College Station.
1: Yeah, which, again, I – I have no love for A&M and he'll probably end up at USC. I just think it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was living the high life, taking all OU's players, taking Caleb Williams, thinking he was just gonna, you know, roll through the easy pack 12. Well now he's in the big 10 and now his recruiting class is falling apart. So I, I had to give a BB <laughs> to one Lincoln Riley who, no, that's good. who, who was not, who was not media friendly, who treated us like we weren't human beings. So, you know what, you know, karma, karma exists. Karma's real. Like you treat people like dirt, you know, people will finally start seeing through that.
0: The only CC he loves is Colin Cowherd, not Carson Cunningham. Unfortunately. Um, I was going to ask, yeah. would, would Malachi Nelson and Caleb Williams overlap by a year or would they be, I'm trying to remember what class, what actual designation Nelson is.
1: Well, he's going to be a senior this year. so And Caleb
0: has to spend two more years in college. So, yeah, they'd have a year of overlap. So, I mean, Malachi Nelson might say, look, y'all are going to pay me a, a million to come to USC. They're going to pay me $2 million to go to A&M, and I don't really have to beat anybody else for that job. Oh, not to mention, I'm going to have NFL talent at every position surrounding me. I mean, we kind of talked about A&M last week, Carson. I just – I feel like they are on the verge of buying themselves a national championship, and uh, until NIL things kind
1: of smooth out, that's probably the world we're living in. Well, when they they have Malachi – go see the male cheerleaders day and and go to midnight yell practice seems like what is this place i am please out don't of here. they can't take, take back him to, to midnight california. yell practice
0: no they can only take him to the banks and then send him back to california if they take him to midnight yell practice and watch the guy do his little knee pumps his goofy little stuff that he does malachi nelson is going to be on a plane back to california so
1: fast that he might never enter the state of texas again i mean it's a like look and it it's not for me. It's, it's for a lot of people. Like I know I have friends that went to Texas saying, and I'm like, they love that stuff. Uh, I was freaked out when I went to college It's, it struck me as very cultish. It doesn't strike everyone that, and I'm not saying it is, that was just my impression, but it's a scary place if you're not quite ready for what you're getting into. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm not, not going to hold my breath on them winning a national title anytime soon. I'm just saying.
0: I'll call it cultish. It's, you said you didn't want to go there. I'll go there. I, I think that it's, It's one of the most odd fan bases in the country, and the yell stuff that they do, it's all very cultish and very weird. Uh, I have no problem making fun of Texas A&M. Here's the thing. If there are any Texas A&M fans listening, and why would you be? If you are listening, I have also complimented you and said that you're probably going to win a national championship in the next five years. So I'm going to balance that out by criticizing your weird cult uh, where y'all do high-step weird talk yells.
1: And have male and have only male cheerleaders and uh, wait is it only male cheerleaders? Yeah, well, they're called yell leaders, they're not yell they're not leaders actual cheerleaders, but okay, fair enough. So it's I guess. it's weird, and look, and I'll give it up to AM too. Like they've got 85,000 people coming to their games, like they care. Pac-12 doesn't care about football. They're they're you've seen the Pac-12 championship game every year. It's crickets, there's nobody there, nobody cares. I'll give AM credit. They they have a huge stadium, huge fan base, they want to win, they haven't. They're a little cultish, but hey, there's worse things to be in the world. At least they care about football. So. No. Well, we, we've digressed too much. Let's get out of here. Just send them out. Send them we, out, and we'll get into the weekend.
0: We've gotten down all the rabbit holes. Everyone enjoy the U.S. Junior Amateur this weekend, Carson. We're in for a good one. We're back next week as we inch ever and ever closer to football season. Thanks everybody for listening again. As always, go Pokes.